0: Okay, so we are done with uh, Bible Basics. We had a great Sunday last Sunday installing new leaders, and so we're transitioning uh, to the summer, and I thought no better way than to start this way by basically letting you know, confessing to you that I'm a part of a pool of people on the planet who are the most despised. Yes, uh, universally so, it doesn't matter race, color, gender, age, class, country. Most despised, even in my own family. And you ask, well, what is, what is your crime, Jeff? What is your crime, Pastor? And I'm so glad you asked. My crime is this. I am a morning person. <laughs> Good morning, sunshine. <laughs> I hear those hisses. How are you doing this morning, Tiger? How are you doing this morning, sweetie? Hey, honey, before you have your coffee, can we have a meaningful conversation? Let's go, let's go, let's go. We're burning daylight. Everyone flees from me in the morning. Everyone but the dog. Man's best friend, soldier, he's the only one happy to see me. Who else is a persecuted morning person? I just want to know. All right, look around, people. These are our people. This is our tribe. It's very important to know. Uh, It's with great vindication and maybe just a tad of smugness that I introduce to you the psalm this morning. For Psalm 30 is for morning people. Psalm 30 is a morning psalm. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do the same thing we did last week. I love variety. I love textual variety. And that's why God, if you think of the Bible, it's loaded with different literary forms to carry the water of the Word. The way we've explained it before is like in narrative, just think of the the literature like buckets. And the water it carries is the Word. And the Scriptures give you different buckets to carry the water of the Word to you. Sometimes it's a story. Sometimes it's just... Outright, here's what's true. Propositions, because you need clarity. Sometimes it's it's not audible; it's visual, like apocalyptic buckets. It just blo- I mean, God understood visual realities, and sometimes it's in pictures and images and poetry. And so I do like variety, and so I'm going to mix I'm going to mix up literary preaching forms. And so what we started last week, I'm going to continue probably for the rest of the summer. Maybe in the fall, I'll go every other week interjecting different forms. Just because, just because. All right, so we're going to pray first, and then we're going to read and study the Scripture together. And by reading and studying the Scripture together, we experience God with the Bible. That's always the goal. The goal is whatever we are in, whatever text we're in, that God gets more clear to our minds and more real to our hearts. And so if you're new to this church, we don't pit the mind against the heart. We don't have light without heat, and we don't have heat without light. Uh, The Bible never divides us up into mind, thinking, feeling, and will in the Bible, In the Bible, you're one person. And that inner person thinks, that inner person feels, and that inner person wills. One person. That's what God is after. So there's not camp one, do doctrine, camp two, feel it. It's both camps, always, together. And so some of us need to feel more. Some of us need to think more. But they're not to be separated. They actually are the same thing. Okay? So, let's pray. Then we're going to read and study the text together. Then we're going to experience God with the Bible in Psalm 30, the morning psalm. You ready? All right, Lord, we thank you that this is absolutely true. Your words are absolutely true. Your words are living and active. And so this morning, would you shine on the page? Holy Spirit, would you shine on the page? Jesus, would you show up? Would you become more clear to our minds, more real to our hearts? Because you love us. Because you're the one that does go after and find and seek the lost. And we confess we're lost. We confess that we need you, oh We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we hit the Bible and doctrine pretty hard this past year, haven't we not? I mean, we did Judges and Galatians at the same time. We've never done that at Redeemer. Two books of the Bible at the same time. For six months, we did it from August 2021 to January 2022. So why did we do those two books? We did those two books because they're both about the same thing. Justification by faith. Galatians is just going to tell you justification by faith. Judges is going to show you. So that's why we did it. Remember when you're in Judges you're like, how can this be in the Bible? And when you're in Galatians you're like, how come nobody's told me about this in the Bible? Right? All right, then we did Bible basics for 5 months. We did from February to May. We followed the doctrinal flow, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and you ask, "Well, why did we do Bible basics?" Because Because Paul says, doctrine, bad doctrine, shipwrecks us, throws us overboard, drowns us. And Paul says, good doctrine is like a massive aircraft carrier in a stormy sea it rescues you and it actually carries you across the sea. So that's why we did Bible Bible basics. But now it's summertime. We hit it hard, but now it's summertime. It's time to slow down. It's time to talk to God. It's not that we weren't talking to God before. But it's now, it's like this. One thing, if I don't, I don't even know if I'm even going to say it later on, but I'm going to say it now. What you need to understand about prayer, since we're going to look at prayer, prayer is not the first word said. Prayer is always the second word said. The first word is always God's word. So he speaks, and when he speaks, you now have something to say. So most of our prayer lives can be fixed if we get that order back in line. Shut up and listen, as Luther says. God speaks. Now you have something to say. And so we've had a lot of God speaking for a year. We now have something to say. And so we're going to... Talk to God. This is going to be a time for prayer during the summer. The ancients would say it's a time to commune with God. We moderns would say it's time to experience God. Same thing. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I don't know how to pray, Jeff. It's okay. You know what the Psalms say to you? The Psalms say, I know how to pray. I'll pray for you. Some of you are objecting, but Jeff, I fail at prayer. And the Psalms say to you, I succeed at prayer. I'll pray for you, the Psalms say. Others of us are honestly assessing, well, you know, listen, Jeff, I'm, I, know, I know how this goes. I'm going to be inspired in the moment, and I'm going to quit in the long haul. And the Psalms say to you, I never quit praying. I never stop praying. I pray for you. Some of you are whispering just barely, barely audible right now, but you don't know who I am. I'm a runaway. I'm a throwaway. I'm not worthy to pray. And the Psalms say to you, all my prayers are from runaways. All my prayers come from throwaways and unworthy people. I'll pray for you. So the Psalms pray for us. The Psalms aren't about you actually getting your prayer life together. The Psalms are just saying, hey, come join me as I pray with you and for you. We do this together. OK? So, we're going to start with Psalm 30, and we're not starting with Psalm 30, so you pray in the morning and become a morning person, which would make this planet a kinder place. I guarantee it. We're doing Psalm 30, not so you pray in the morning. We're doing Psalm 30, so you pray for the morning. So, all of us here pray for the morning. No matter where you are, it might be morning for you right now. You can still pray for the morning, but it might be midnight for you right now, and you need to pray for the morning. So we're going to pray for the morning. First, we're going to look at this. What is the morning? So Malachi was so awesome last week with the scripture, so we're going to do this. He's back by demand. All right, we've got verse one up here. So we're gonna go through Psalm 30 again. We're gonna read it and we're gonna study it together, experience God with the Bible. So what is the morning? That's our question right now. Look at verse one. I will extol you, O Lord. Look, at, look, how Paul, look how the psalmist is addressing God. Notice he's addressing God as you. You see that? So he's saying, I extol you, O Lord. This is incredibly, deeply personal. David could have said, I extol, O Lord. I will extol the Lord. In other words, I will extol who he is. I will give you theology and doctrine about who he is. We're all gonna think rightly about who he is. In other words, David, who is God? We could begin that way. David, who is God? And he says, God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And he'd be right But more is going on here. He's saying, I will extol you, O Lord. Do you see this? He is talking second person to God. He is communing with God. He is experiencing God. He's praying. But notice it's not any kind of prayer. That's what we're going to see. It's not any kind of prayer. It's not any kind of mystical experience. It's not any kind of encounter with God. There aren't lights and audible voices and a still small voice. There's not this overwhelming sense of being embraced. There's not this knowledge that you have insight singularly so into someone or something or the will of God. It's not some new revelation from God outside the Bible or beyond the Bible. Notice what's happening. Look at verse 1. Look at the content of David's prayer. I will extol you for. See that for? Here it comes. He's about ready to tell you what he's extolling. He's telling you what he's experiencing about God. It's very specific. Watch. Here it comes. Content number one, you've drawn me up. Content number two, you've not let my foes rejoice over me. Verse two, oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. And here comes content number three, you've healed me. Oh, Lord, you, again, you, 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 content number four, brought me up, brought my soul up from Sheol. Content number five, you restored to me life from those who go down to the pit. You see that? Do you see that you have drawn me up? Look at verse one. You have drawn me up. This word in the ancient world was used to pull up a bucket from a well. God, this is incredible. I mean, get the picture here. God, God. Extolled the exalted one, God, the high king. God, the infinitely most high. Bends down and draws him up like a bucket out of the pit. So how deep is this well that David's drawn out of? Look at verse 3. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, she owes the land of the dead. How deep is this well? Look at wells and cisterns again. In the ancient world, we're used to imprison criminals. So if you caught a criminal, you caught somebody, you didn't know what to do with them, they didn't have police running around, they didn't have civil authorities running around, they would catch them, a bunch of people, and they'd dump them into a well or a cistern. Maybe they could stand in the cistern. And it wasn't just a holding tank when you dumped him down there. In other words, it wasn't like, well, you got this time period, okay, temporary punitive justice, all right, he paid his debt, pull him up. Pull her up. When you threw a criminal into a cistern, you left him there to die. It was a death sentence. How deep is this well? As deep as death. God is bending down to draw David up from Sheol, the land of the dead. In Calvin's commentary in Psalm 30, he describes this life in this world as living in the pit. So one of the ways that we tend to think of this, immediately we run to literal physical death. Of course, that's implied. We also run to spiritual death, being spiritually separated from God in this life. That's implied. We also run to eternal death. We think the pit is eternal death, which is a a comprehensive death, which means it's physical, spiritual, mental, emotional. It is a separation from God that separates every molecule in our body, every emotional reality, every relational reality. It decreates everything in all creation. Yes, this is implied. But Calvin says what is most on the forefront of the psalmist's mind are the present pits in life. our condition in this world this is calvin i confess involves us in such wretchedness and we are harassed by a variety of afflictions that scarcely a day passes without some trouble or grief moreover amid so many uncertain events we cannot otherwise be but we cannot otherwise but be full of anxiety and fear therefore wherever we turn a labyrinth of evils surrounds us present pits in this life but don't miss this. How does God pull him out of the pit? Did you see that? The image changes. So it moves from him stooping down to pull you out of the pit to him going down into the pit and bringing you up. So God goes down to the pit to carry you out. So what is the morning? That's our question. What is the morning? The answer is the morning is the moment of, God goes down into your present pit. The sun rises. The night disappears. The night is no match for the morning. So, pray for the morning, this text says. Pray for God to come down into your present pit. Okay, so who needs this morning? Let's continue. Verse four. So who needs this morning? Who needs a morning? The text is asking for us. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. That's pretty stunning. And give thanks to his holy name. David is addressing the saints. So, he's addressing people who believe in God. He's addressing the church. He's addressing Israel. He's addressing Christians. So, what's going on, though, with these saints? What's going on with these church people? Why is he addressing them? Why is he inviting them? Why is he telling them to pray for the morning? Why is he saying, Pray for the morning? Who needs the morning? Well, let's keep going. If you look at verse 5, look what it says For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Do you see what's happening? Here's what's happening. Here's the image. Weeping is an unwanted guest that tarries for the night. In other words, weeping is an unwanted guest that comes and spends the night with you. It's unwanted. The night is all the multi-forms of distress, all the multi-forms of desperations, all the present pits that can come at us in life and can come out of us. And so the picture here, here's the point, when an unwanted guest comes for the night, when weeping comes for the night, it's hard for you and me not to live like an owl. When the unwanted guest of weeping visits you for the night, when you're in a present pit, it's hard not to live like an owl. Your eyes wide open in the dark. Owls say things like, the morning will never come. Owls say things like, it's only night. There's no such thing as the morning. Owls say, look, Try to survive the best way you can. Deal with your pit this way. Deal with your pit and your suffering and your distress this way. Owls say, I'm numb. Because when I feel, it's only pain. So it's better not to feel. I will suppress all desire in my life. Owls have their eyes wide open to the dark. Who needs the morning? David is saying owls need the morning. In other words, this is what is called a lament. Now, the lament is a, there are basically two forms of psalms, two forms of prayer. I mean everybody, I mean good night. it's like you study one scholar and he's got like 50 forms of psalms and it's ridiculous. It's a festival psalm and it's a royal psalm and it's a pilgrim psalm and it's a all the psalms basically break down into two: lament and deliverance. Thanksgiving, praise. And lament and deliverance or thanksgiving and praise are basically the two realities of what someone who believes in God experiences in this life. Laments are absolutely necessary. Laments are absolutely needed. Laments are faith in the opposite. Laments are faith in the dark. Laments are inevitable, just like Thanos. Remember Thanos, the God of death? I'm inevitable. Laments are inevitable in this life. Inevitable. But here's what's so fascinating about Psalm 30. It's not a lament. It's for the lamenting. Look, this is incredible. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes from the morning. Psalm 30 is not a lament. It's for those who are lamenting. In other words, Psalm 30 is saying to you, listen, the unwanted guest has a brief stay. How long is a night? And some of you sleep what? Five hours, six hours, like my wife. I need I need six. If I don't get six, nobody wants to be around me. Not even the dog. How many? What is it? Maybe eight hours? Eight hours, right? It's not even a day. What Psalm 30 is saying to you owls out there, the unwanted guest doesn't stay long. The unwanted guest is no match for the morning. It's not even a day. It's down to hours. The night. So watch what's happening, even in the literary structure of Psalm 30. Look at, if you look at beginning in Psalm 30, you've got Malachi, you don't need to jump around because it, it'll be hard. But you've got verses one through three, "Begin with mourning, verses 11 through 12, End with mourning." In other words, in other words, you have mourning surrounding you. You don't have the unwanted guest surrounding you. lament. You don't have the night surrounding you. You have the morning, even in the structure of the psalm surrounding you. You don't have lament surrounding you. You have the surprise and the wonder of the light surrounding you. And so what's happening is this is asking owls, pray for the morning. Pray for God to show up in your present pits because he does quickly. So pray for the morning. Well, who needs the morning? Let's look at verse 6. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. So David is saying, listen, so now we've got, who needs the morning? There are two kinds of people in the psalm that need the morning. Two kinds of people he's targeting. He's targeting his saints that think the night lasts forever, you're an owl. And now he's targeting himself because he's going specifically into what brought him into a present Here's what he says, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. And basically what David is saying, it literally means in my success. So he's saying, I said in my success, I shall never be moved. How successful was David? Was he pretty successful? Was he a great warrior? Yeah, you remember the songs that were sung about him? Saul kills his thousands. David his tens of thousands. Was he a good king, a successful king? The most successful in Israel's history, probably the most successful king who ever lived outside of Nebuchadnezzar. It's called the golden age when he was the king. Israel could never get back to it. Was he a successful spiritual leader, church leader, pastor? How many Psalms did he write? How many books in the Bible were about him? Verse 6, David is saying, listen, in my success, I said some stupid things. I thought some stupid things. I felt some stupid things. I believed in some stupid things. I related in a stupid way. I did some stupid things. And you're asking like I'm asking, okay, so what are those stupid things? Answer, things like, see it? I shall never be moved. We'd say something like this. I'm in control. We might say something like this. I connect to God and connect to the kingdom and connect to work and connect to my achievements and my performance. I connect to those things. I connect with them by my strength. We might say things like, my identity is my strength. It's my superior performance. And so if your identity is your strength, what happens when you're not strong? If your identity is your strength, what happens when you succeed? I shall never be moved. Here's the point in verse verse six, when you're successful, when you experience superior performance, it's hard not to build your identity on your strength. Tell me one person that succeeds, doesn't struggle with building an identity on their performance. Can you give me one person that doesn't do that? David was no different. So what do you do? What do you do when that happens? What do you do when you have built your identity around your spiritual performance, your work performance, your performance as a mother, your performance as a cultural activist, your performance in believing certain things? What do you do? I mean, how do you fix that? Well, first thing in verse 7, let's look at verse 7, we need to hear reality. So what first thing that God wants to do is he's going to tell you reality. He's going to say, listen, this is real. This is what's true. Regardless of how you're thinking and feeling and regardless of how you're building your identity, this is what's real. You look at it. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. By your favor literally means by your grace. So by your grace, he's saying, you made me successful. If this was Paul, he'd say, by your grace, I am what I am. In other words, all that we are, all that we have, all that we do, the psalmist is saying, David is saying, is a gift of your grace. And sometimes that's enough. Sometimes all you have to do is be told reality. Sometimes all it takes is someone, the scriptures or someone coming up to you and telling you what's true, and you're like, you wake up, right? You listen to reality and you repent. You turn away from, uh, I've made my mountain stand strong, and you start believing into, really, you made my mountain strong. That starts happening, and that is fantastic. It hardly ever happens for me, though. The next part has to happen. Sometimes you can be told and you believe it, but most of the times we have to experience ourselves in order to believe it. Right? Right? And that's what happens you hid your face i was literally depressed what god does sometimes because telling us isn't enough he needs to show us he has to let us he has to take a step back and let us experience ourselves here you experience your strength for a while And so what happens is this, you have an identity that's built on success, so you don't have some successes. You get depressed. And it may be when you do have successes, you start experiencing this weird overmania you have about yourself. And you're like, oh my word, what is that? You experience yourself. So sometimes he tells us reality, sometimes he shows us reality. Okay, let's experience your strength for a while and see how it goes. A good depression, this is what is called a good depression. I was depressed. That's a very good depression. People don't like to talk about that. People wanna avoid those at all costs. And I say, no, that's a very good depression when you experience your strength and start seeing how weak you are, that's a really good depression. Why? Because it leads you to grace. Look what happens in verse eight. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. In other words, when he goes from depression, he goes right to verse eight. And all of a sudden, all he is is someone who needs grace. All of a sudden, everything about him is free grace. And he starts building his life around grace. Unperformed, unearned, unmerited grace. All right. Pray for the morning. So you who are successful, this psalm invites you to pray for the morning. You who are owls in the dark, this psalm invites you to pray for the morning. Pray for God to come down into your pit. But here's the answer of the whole Bible. He did. He did go down into your pit. So don't miss this. If he did go down to your pit on the cross and he exited it, he took you with him, and what that means is that all the present pits in your life, he's already there. And he's carrying you out. And that's why the psalmist ends by saying, listen, (laughs) You turn my mourning into dancing. Let's pray.